Hey, you're listening to Nach Stories, a deep dive into the fantastic anecdotes of ancient Jewish history to highlight how these incredible events, this bedrock of Judaism, is as relevant today as ever. We continue in the incredible saga of the Jewish people after the death of Yeshua. And the Jews have messed up repeatedly. And the the biggest mistake that we made when taking over Canaan with Yeshua was that we had misplaced mercy and we did not kill out every single inhabitant of the land like Hashem commanded us to. That mistake would follow us around like a bad penny and keep on rising whenever we did not stick close to Hashem and follow the Torah and the mitzvahs, those nations rose up to torment us, to wake us up, to go back to Hashem. Now, after Devorah, the prophetess, Devorah, passed away, we had 40 years of peace until again, Klai Israel strayed. And this time, Midian took over and oppressed us for seven years. They destroyed our fields, our cattle, They gave us overbearing taxes, made our lives incredibly miserable. And that was enough to wake us up. And we dive into Hashem. Maybe we sometimes give up on ourselves, but Hashem never for a moment considers us unrepairable. No matter how bad things get, we are guaranteed that Teshuva always works. You turn back to Hashem with a broken heart. Sincerely, you're welcome back with open arms. This time, to the rescue. A Malach appeared to Gidon, the son of Yoyash, from the Shevet of Menashe. Now, Gidon was an exceptional Mechabed Av. He honored his father remarkably. And while the Midianites were torturing them, he told his father, you stay hidden inside. I'll go work the field and contend with the dangers out there. The Malach met him there in the field. And the Malach told him that Hashem is with you, you valiant, great warrior. What do you mean by that? Well, Hashem is with him. There are three partners in the creation of every man. The father, mother, and Hashem. Gideon looked back at this malach and he says, you know, Adoni, my master, it's so nice that, you know, you're telling me Hashem is with us, but why are we so oppressed if Hashem is with us? And Gideon had a murder kasha. He says, look, yes, we're doing Averis. But you know, Hashem saved us from Mitzrayim. Now, there are two options of why Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. Either because they were tremendous tzaddikim, or they were rishayim. There are only two options over there. If they were tzaddikim, then we should have their schus to save us now from the Midianites. And if they were rishayim, and Hashem took them out, then you see Hashem helps rishayim also. Why isn't Hashem helping us now? The Malach didn't answer. Here the Malach was quiet, and Hashem took over the conversation. And Hashem turned to Gideon and he said, You have a tremendous strength. You are now the appointed one. You are my messenger, my shliach, to go save the Jews from the Midianim. Now the truth is that Gideon wasn't this tremendous tzaddik, yet he was zeichet to hear from Hashem directly, and not just from a Malach. Well, why did he start with the Malach and then Hashem took over? So the truth is that he proved something about himself in this conversation, which warranted that Hashem took over. He actually had something one up on Elio Hanavi. Instead of bad-mouthing Klyasrol for the Averis, for the Avodizara that they did, he backed them up, he defended them, and he said, the Baruch Shalom should should protect us, he should save us, like he did in Mitzrayim. Just like uh, Moshe Rabbeinu did when we 
did the Egel Hazov? Moshe Rabbeinu stood and defended Klai Yisrael. He said, hey, I'm with them. You have to forgive them. That is the type of leader that the Rabbeinu Shalom is looking for. And as soon as Gidon presented his case for Klai Yisrael, Hashem took over that conversation. Gidon responded to the Rabbeinu Shalom. He said, I'm undeserving. I'm not a big tzaddik. I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not anything special. I come from this, a small shavit of Menashe. Now the Malach turns back to him and says, you are the chosen one. It's your shlichus. This is your job. You're taking care of Klai Yisrael. Gideon said, oh, really? Can you prove it? Can you prove that you're a Malach and that I am supposed to be doing this? So the Malach said, what do you have in mind? Gideon said, here, join me for a Suda. No, just like Abmavinu served the Malachim, I want to serve you a Suda. It was the same time of year, like that Avram Avinu served the Malachim, it was Pesach. So he brought out some uh, goat meat and matzah and a pot of soup. And uh, he offered it to the Malach. The Malach told him, put the meat and the matzah on that rock over there and pour the soup over the entire meal over the rock. Gideon did as he was, as he was told. He put, picked up the meat, put it on the rock, picked up the matzahs, piled them on the rock. Then he poured the entire pot of soup over it. The Malach approached the rock. He tapped it with his stick. And the entire rock, all the food, all the soup, got consumed in flames. And with that, in those flames, the Malach disappeared. He went back up to Shemaim. See, now, <laughs> Gideon was concerned because he had just seen a Malach. And usually, seeing a Malach is a sign that someone is about to pass on to the next world. And yet, he was pretty sure he was alive. So Hashem came and reassured Gideon that he would still live. He said, Gideon, go out there, establish yourself as the leader of Klai Yisrael. Here's your first mission. At that time, and throughout many generations, the worst Avodah that Klai Yisrael served, that tormented us in history, was the Avodah of Baal. Now, where Gideon was, there was a special Mizbeach, an altar that they had set up to worship Baal, and they had an Asherah tree, which they would worship as well. Gideon, here's your job. Go out there, destroy that Mizbeach, smash it to bits and pieces, cut down that tree, cut down the Asherah tree, build a new Mizbeach for Hashem. Take a cow that's been sitting around in the Baal house, waiting to be shechted to the Baal, that's been fattened for the Baal for seven years. Take that cow, bring that as a carbon on this new Mizbeach la Hashem, and use the Asherah tree for the wood for this Mizbeach, for this carbon. Talking about rubbing it in their face. This was like the ultimate, take everything that they're using for Avodah Zarah and use it for Avodah Zarah. So Gideon did as he was told. He immediately went under the darkness of night, destroyed the Mizbeach, cut down the tree, stole the cow, and it was Makrev, this incredible carbon Lashem. The next morning, as the rooster crowed, the Jews awoke and they saw their Baal, their Mizbeach for their Baal, that altar demolished. Now it happens to have been right near Gidon's father's house, so they assumed that Gidon had something to do with this. They ran over to Gidon's house and banged on their door, furious. And the mob yelled at Gidon's father, where's your son? We have a bone to pick with him. His father courageously stood up and said, here's the deal. You touch my son, you die. Think about this for a second. Who are you defending? Why are you guys so angry? You're here defending this powerful Baal? Do yourself a favor. The Baal is all that powerful. Let him take down whoever's messing with his Mizbeach. 
the lashon that his father used when arguing, defending his son against the mob was Yoi Revloi Habal. Let Baal fight with Gidon, if that's, you know, let him, let him fight his own battles. And from then on, Gidon had a new nickname. They called him Yiru Baal. You know, let Baal fight Gidon. Now, this was a pretty strong point, and now the Jews began to realize that Baal was in fact powerless. With this new clarity sweeping through the Jewish people, Gidon started gathering a new Jewish army from the various Shvatim to go out and fight against the Mindanim. They're back with their Rabbi Nushalaylam. But first... He davened. He told the Rabbanu Shleilam, Look, I trust you implicitly. And I know that with your help we will be victorious. But please, I beg of you, Rabbanu Shleilam, respectfully, I ask, please give me a sign. Show me a nace that you are, in fact, on our side in this war and that we're going to win. Hashem said, Sure thing. Pick a nace. Any nace. You got it. Giddin said, You know what? I'm standing in the garden over here. There's a wad of wool next to me. Tonight, when the dew falls, Make it that the dew only wettens the wool, but not the rest of the field. The next morning, Gidun awoke, and he went over to that piece of wool, and it was soaked, saturated through and through. He wringed it out. Now, the rest of the earth was, you know, regular dew, comparatively, uh, you know, normal mo- mo- moisture. Hashem couldn't stop the, Kaviyochol uh, could not stop the, do from falling at all because he made a bris as part of creation that every day there will be dew falling but the nace was that the amount of dew that fell exactly on that wad of wool was improportionately more than everywhere else Gideon was happy with this nace and he asked for yet another one because you know maybe this was just a natural tendency he said let me find that tomorrow the opposite will happen that only the ground will be wet but the wool would not and as I'm sure you can guess the next morning, that's exactly what occurred. With his heart set, Gideon went out to mobilize the Jews for battle. Hashem said, you put together a massive army over here, but that's not what I need. Everybody in doesn't need any army for that matter. I want to show the Yisrael a nace. I want to show that it's me, the Rabbanu Shleilam, that wins these battles. If you bring out a massive army, the more soldiers there are, the less of a miracle it is. And the soldiers are going to come back thinking, that, oh, we have this fantastic army. That's why we won with our brute force. So first we have to get rid of as many as we can. Offer them all a chance to go home if they're scared. So Gideon got up in front of his men and he made an announcement. Anybody who's scared, doesn't want to come, go home. No problem. Well, he had 32,000 soldiers in front of him. Of the 32,000, 22,000 went back home. Hashem turns to Gideon and says, Look, you have 10,000 soldiers left, but that's still too much. It's still going to detract from the nace. Take all the remaining soldiers, these 10,000, bring them down to the stream for a test. Offer them all to go drink from the stream. Watch how they drink. The ones that get down on their knees and lap up the water from the stream, there's still a little bit of idol worship in those soldiers. Of his 10,000, there were 300 men that did not get down to drink. They rather picked up from the river in their hands using Calum and brought it to their mouths instead of going down to the water. Those 300, that was his men. See, Jews are not supposed to get down on their knees. So one knee maximum lifting the other one, even if you're cleaning. Even on Yom Kippur, when we do a we use a mat. 
Hashtachavoya, real bowing, that's saved for the base of Mikdash. To see there, be there, and do that. Uh, do the Hashtachavoya together very soon. Now, Gidon has his 300 man army and he's ready to roll. There's only one thing missing they don't have a single weapon. Now, how are you supposed to attack Midian, a massive army of hundreds and thousands of trained soldiers with 300 unarmed men? Hmm, well, here we go. Gideon divided his 300 men into three separate lines of attack. One was going to attack directly from the front, the two flanked on either side. Each one, every single soldier of the 300, carried a shoifer in his right hand, a massive horn. A shoifer is known to inject fear into the hearts of men. It lets them know that, like, hey, we're getting judged now. In their left hand, they carried a glass jar with a torch inside of it. Gideon announced his men, Follow my lead. Wait for the signal. Hashem told Gideon, if you have any doubt that you will win, sneak up to their camp the night before you attack. Listen to what they're chattering about. Do a little eavesdropping, a little spying. This will give you insurance. Assurance. So Gideon did as he was told, and he went with a servant down into the Midian camps, disguised, covered, and wearing all black. And he overheard two Midianite guards talking to each other. And one of them told the other, You should know, I had the strangest dream last night. It was really weird. It was a loaf of bread. Um, oat bread, actually. It was oat bread. Yeah, it was an oat bread loaf rolling down a hill. And it rolled into our Midianite tent. This massive tent and this little tiny loaf of oat bread destroyed and demolished, obliterated this entire tent of ours. It was just, it was just the weirdest thing. The other guard, his eyes started bugging out and he looks at him and he says, you should know, what you saw, that was a foretelling. You saw the Giddon's sword and all of his military prowess is going to defeat us. I fear that you portend Giddon's pending defeat. You can imagine how happy Gideon was to hear the soldier's dream. Um, although we have to try to understand, like, why was it bread? See, this was Pesach time, and when we bring the carbon oymer, that is brought with oats. What's oats? See, this, it symbolizes our freedom from Midian and Gullus in general. And uh, Mashiach is ready to come at any moment, the truth is, to redeem us, even though it's not uh, the scheduled time of Pesach. Pesach is, is officially in Nisan, and Mashiach comes. Mashiach is always ready to come. We're always ready for Gula. If Mashiach showed up right now, uh, as overjoyed as we would be, we wouldn't be surprised. We're not chakali b'chol yoyim shiyava. That's what it means to wait for Mashiach. That if he comes right now, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Gideon went back to the Jewish encampment and he told his three army divisions to follow his lead. He said, when I blow the shoifer, you break that jar in your hand and hold the flame within it up high. You see, the logic behind this is that most armies, you have a massive army and you have a few individuals within the ranks who blow a chauffeur and a couple of torch bearers. When they hear 300, they'll assume the proportions of a massive army. That is going to hit them in their morale. That's going to give them a panic, which is a lot more harmful than any physical attack can possibly do in a battle. Together with Gideon, they moved in 
mind you, without a single weapon. When the Midianite, when the Midianites heard the tremendous noise of all the chauffeurs and the smashing glass, they leaped up to fight an army which they couldn't see. And they started slashing their swords indiscriminately. And the result was that most of the soldiers died by Midianites' own hands. Midian had defeated Midian. The survivors started running and Gideon and his 300 men chased after the remaining Midianite now fugitives. They were, there, there were a couple of kings and officials of Midian that they wanted to capture. So uh, now Gideon turned to the Shavit of Ephraim and said, okay, you guys are up, go chase after these kings and officials. And the Shavit did. They ran out and killed, they chased and killed two of the officials. But then they came back to Gideon with a grudge. They said, look, like, like now that the battle was basically over, now you came to us, why, why were we left out of the main battle? And Gideon saw that they were quite angry. So to appease them, he said, look, essentially, you guys completed the entire mission. Our victory is yours. You killed their leaders. And that diplomacy pacified Shavit Ephraim. Next, Gideon went out to find those two million kings. He came to one city of uh, Sukkot with his men, and he asked for some provisions. Maybe you guys can give us some food to eat somewhere to stay. But Sukkot denied them. He said, look, you bring back those king's heads, and then we'll give you food. And Gideon was infuriated. He said, oh, yeah? Okay, I'll bring back their heads. You got it, sure. And when I come back with their heads, I'm going to pile them up on yours. He moved on to the next city of Peniel, where, again, they rejected him. And again, Gideon threatened their lives as well. But that didn't stop him. He went on to capture those two Midianite kings. He brought them back to home base and true to his word, he wiped out those two cities. Now with those two kings captured bound in his home base, Gideon turned to his oldest son and offered for him to have the privilege of killing these kings. But this boy was still young and he was afraid to kill these powerful men. He didn't realize how helpless they were. And he resisted and he did not draw his sword. But the kings were watching this interaction of Gideon trying to encourage his son to do the execution. And they spoke up. And they said, Gideon, do me a favor. Do us a favor. We are kings. And we are only worthy of being killed by kings. Don't disgrace us. Please kill us yourself. And so Gideon complied with them. And he himself killed the kings. The Jews now witnessed to these victories begged Gideon, please take on the mantle, be our king. But Gideon turned them down and he said, make Hashem your king. That is where the Malchus of all Malchus lies. And Kaisral did. And as they turned back to Hashem, Shalom and peace settled for another 40 years, as long as Gideon was alive. Now join us next time when we explore what happens after Gideon's passing. The tumultuous, incredibly sad murder of his 69 children, his 69 sons. The battle for power between his half-son Avimelech and his remaining son Yosem. Thank you for learning with me. Have a wonderful day.